0: Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 22. Please stand for the reading of God's word. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet, like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said... Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. The Lord said to me, what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words, that the prophet speaks in my name. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, is to be put to death. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously, so do not be alarmed. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, wonderful Terry. Good morning. I'm Fabulous Dave. It's good to see you today. Uh, This summer, we've been going through this series where we're looking at the person of Jesus Christ, thinking of who he is, what he has done for us, getting a portrait of him and all his diverse roles and gifts and just the wonderful person he is. And we're doing that by looking at the Old Testament story. We're looking at Old Testament themes and characters and tracing those themes through the story and see how Jesus is the wonderful fulfillment of those themes. Uh, Truly, all of God's promises and prophecies find their yes in Christ. So hopefully you're getting a a fuller picture of who Jesus is and what he has come to do for us, who he is for us. And today we're going to look at the, the theme of prophet. That Jesus is the great prophet who is to come into the world. We're going to look at some of the Old Testament prophets, who they were, what their role was in Israel's life. And then we'll look at Jesus as prophet. And I want to ask the question, what does it mean to relate to Jesus as prophet? That's where we'll end. So the story starts here in uh, Deuteronomy 18. Uh, Let me give you my lovely map here and just remind you of the story. And this is mentioned in verses 15 and 16. But remember, God brought the people out of Egypt in the lower left, out of slavery in Egypt, right? And they passed through the Red Sea. They came into the wilderness and to Mount Sinai. And there at Mount Sinai, God entered into a covenant with the people. And in Exodus, God actually spoke From the mountain to the people, he spoke the Ten Commandments, and his voice was like thunder, and, you know, there was lightning and clouds. And after hearing the voice of God, the people said to Moses, um, hey Moses, why don't you talk to us? All right, um, why not you talk? God, tell you you know what to say, and then you tell us what He said. This sort of immediate experience of God's voice is a little overwhelming for us. It's pretty crazy, and so Moses and God said, "That's that's a good idea." And so uh, Moses and God are reminding the people of that fact here in verse fifteen and sixteen, and so that created the need for prophets for someone who could speak. God's words to God's people in a way that they could take in and not be completely overwhelmed by. And so in the passage, Moses is telling the people that God will raise up a prophet uh, for them who will speak God's words. So I want to read again verse 18 uh, and verse 19. This really sums up the, the promise of a prophet. Uh, I will raise, this is God speaking, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. So in those two verses, we get a pretty good sense of what I'd call a profile of the prophet that God is going to raise up. So let me just give you some bullet points that you, you see in those verses. First, uh, this prophet will be, it says, like Moses. Now, my guess is if I asked most of you, like, who is Moses? I would guess most of you wouldn't think of Moses as a prophet. That, would be, that wouldn't be a label you'd attach to him. But Moses was absolutely a prophet in the sense that we'll see here. You could argue he was the greatest of Israel's prophets. So there will be a prophet like Moses, Um, the Lord says, it'll be from among your own people. This will not be someone from another nation, but a fellow Israelite, one of their own, one of their own brothers, uh, God will raise up as a prophet. And this, this is the key. You saw that in this passage, God says, I will put my words in his mouth. Okay. This is what you need to know. If, if, if someone asks you, what is a prophet? This is it. This is a prophet is someone who God has put his words into their mouths. So when they speak, they are speaking the words of the Lord. God has given them authority to speak his words to his people. So if you ever read any of the prophetic literature in the Bible, you'll often come across the phrase that goes like this, thus saith the Lord, and then they'll start talking. What what I'm about to say, it comes directly from God through me to you, God's people. And that's really, that's the core uh, role of a prophet is to speak God's words to his people. And so there's a lot of accountability that comes with that. And so you you notice in the passage, uh, God also says, beware false prophets. Not everyone who says, Hey, I got a word from the Lord. That doesn't make you a prophet just by saying that there's true prophets and there's false prophets. So that, that, that sums it up, this promise of uh, a fellow Israelite like Moses who would come and speak God's words to his people. And of course, that didn't, the, the fulfillment of that was not just a single person, but from Moses, we get this really this line of prophets throughout the history of Israel. And the, and the prophets' ministry spans almost 1,000 years, really, from Moses on as Israel came into the promised land. Here, I'll give you the, there's a prophet. Um there he is. Uh, as Israel came into the promised land, right, during the, the Davidic monarchy, and then when the nation went into a civil war and they were split into two kingdoms, where they are carried into exile, into Babylon, and then brought back in the land, through all that time, hundreds of years, there were prophets speaking God's words to God's people. So people like Nathan and Samuel and Elijah, Elisha. And then we have books that were written by prophets. The major prophets we think of as Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Daniel. They wrote the the big books. And then you have guys who wrote smaller letters like Hosea and Joel and Amos, Obadiah. You've heard some of these names. So All these prophets um, that spoke God's word to his people. And I want to just kind of sum up their message uh, today for you. Really... In a phrase, their message to God's people was turn to the Lord. Or more often than not, it was actually return to the Lord. <laughs> you've wandered from God, return to your God. And they had a twofold ministry of both confronting the people, but also comforting the people. I don't know if you've ever heard the popular phrase that the, the role of good preaching is to, um, what is it, to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. You ever heard that phrase? Okay. It's true. That's, it actually wasn't originally in the context of preaching, but that is certainly the prophetic ministry is to, to, to comfort the afflicted, those who are, are hurting to bring comfort, but those who are comfortable in their sin, it's to cause affliction and to confront them. And so the prophets did this. And I, I want to just give you a, a sample today of, of, a, a, some, of their, some of their words so you can get a sense of this. On the confronting side, uh, there were two issues that the prophets regularly confronted Israel with. They are the issues of idolatry and the issue of injustice. So, idolatry, this idea that Israel would start worshiping other gods instead of Yahweh, the true God, and they, they would worship idols, and then injustice, that they, they treated their own people poorly they exploited the poor there was injustice in the court systems people were stealing and mistreating one another so idolatry and injustice were the two big ones and if you think about it god's two greatest commandments are what love god and what love neighbor right Idolatry is a violation of a first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Well, you can't do that when you're worshiping other gods. Injustice is a violation of the second one. You can't love your neighbor as yourself when you're mistreating your fellow Israelites or the foreigners among you. So they kind of blew it on the two big commandments. Uh, let me give you uh, just a taste. Uh, I'll give you one of, uh, from idolatry and, and injustice. So you get a sample of what the prophets sound and feel like. So this is uh, Hosea, the prophet. Uh, This is at a time when Israel had started worshiping another God of that time called Baal, and they'd make idols to Baal and worship Baal. So so God is speaking here through Hosea, and he is speaking like a wounded lover who has been cheated on by his people, who he's entered into a covenant with. He's entered into a covenant marriage with them. Now here's God speaking about Israel. I'm not going to yell, but this should be yelled, right? Uh, She is not my wife, and I am not her husband. Now, actually, no, God, she is your husband, (laughs) but he's saying it doesn't feel like it right now. Uh, I will punish Israel for the days she, that's Israel, burned incense to Baal. She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers. But me, she forgot, declares the Lord. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts. The prophets get a little racy, just warning here. (laughs) Otherwise, I will strip her naked and make her as bare as on the day she was born. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water and my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. They think Baal is bringing prosperity. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold, gold which she then used for Baal. Therefore, I will make her like a desert, turn her into a parched land and slay her with thirst. All right, this is God, the wounded lover Having been cheated on, expressing his grief, his anger, his jealousy, his holy jealousy for his people and their idolatry. All right, let me give you one other example. Um, This is an example of the injustice that God sees in the people. And the problem here, this is through Isaiah the prophet, is that the people kept doing their religious stuff. They kept going to church, they kept, kept praying, they kept fasting, but they were mistreating people and God didn't like that combination. So he says this, Uh, On the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You can't fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it for only bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? This is sarcastic. God coming out. You call that a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Oh, gosh. Delay. All right. Oh, gosh. I'm back. Don't touch anything. Okay. Uh, Is this not, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? I want a fasting from your injustice. That's what I want you to do. Treat one another well. So you get this, um, this very passionate plea of God, very, very raw. And, and oftentimes these words of the prophets came with what I would call street theater. They would do like performance art, like these, these wild symbolic actions. So like Hosea actually married a prostitute who was continually unfaithful to him. And his marriage became a, a living parable of a relationship between God and Israel. That's a tough assignment, I think, if you ask me. Uh, Jeremiah walked around with a, a like a oxen yoke, went through the streets to show them that they would carry the yoke of slavery, they'd be sent into exile. Or Ezekiel, he cut off his beard and divided it into three parts and he threw part to the wind and he burned part and he, he stabbed the rest of it with a sword, showing these three different ways that Israel would experience the judgment of God. So they, they engaged in these wild symbolic actions. And I just want to say, uh, being a prophet was often a lonely business, okay? This was not like how to win friends and influence people oftentimes. They had to confront the people with the hard truth of the people's sin and their, their hard-heartedness. But that being said, the other side of the, of the ministry was this beautiful ministry of comfort. And here it is. Whenever God's people recognize their sin and, and, and recognize their pride and, and turn from that, God was always there with open arms. And so sometimes when the people were so discouraged, that's when the prophet's message would turn to one of, of, of hope. Specifically, they would comfort the people with the love and the mercy of God. Let me give you two examples of that. So here's Isaiah. After 39 chapters of judgment, he turns in chapter 14. This has been made famous by Handel's Messiah and speaks these words of comfort to the people. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. Look at this image. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. Or how about the words of Ezekiel? For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my lost sheep and I will look after them. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone. And give you a heart of flesh. So, these wonderfully comforting, beautiful images that God will give his people through the prophets. All right, so to sum it up, that was the role of the prophets to speak God's words to God's people, calling the people back into relationship with God. And really, through the prophets, you get God's passionate heart for his people really this passion heart. And you, I would say you get God at his most raw moments, okay, where you see his, his emotion coming out through these prophets. And then if any of you in this room are tempted to think that God is some sort of distant you know, deity who set things in motion and really remains unconcerned about human life, just read the prophets for a couple minutes. And you will find a God who, uh, through these prophets, is almost shockingly involved and shockingly concerned and emotional and passionate about his people. So that's sort of a sum of the prophets. And of course, our passage, in our passage, Moses says, there will come a prophet, the prophet, the the definitive prophet with a capital P who will come and speak God's words to his people. And so with that, I want to turn now, let's turn to the ministry of our Lord and think about Jesus in the context of this role as prophet. So Hebrews, the, the author of Hebrews begins the letter of the Hebrews this way. And look at the theme of prophet. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God spoke through the prophets, but in a new and even qualitatively different way. Now he is speaking to us through his son. Jesus himself acknowledges this part of his ministry. He says, I don't speak of my own accord. But the Father who sent me commands me what to say and how to say it. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Okay, that, is, that is a definition of a prophet. Jesus speaks the very words of God. And we, we say not only does Jesus speak God's words, Jesus himself is the word of God, right? He is the word. He is the definitive communication of the Father to the world. We, we come to know who God is through Jesus himself. Uh, he was certainly recognized as a prophet during his day. Uh, there's a great scene in, um, in John's gospel where, uh, the, J- John's version of the feeding of the 5,000, right, where th- these people are out in sort of a wilderness area and there's no food and Jesus miraculously provides all this bread and after having taught them words. And the people make the connection. They think wilderness, teaching, miraculous bread. That, who does that sound like? <laughs> That sounds like Moses, right? That's uh, uh, Israel out in the wilderness and, and Moses teaching and God providing the miraculous manna from heaven. They see it, and this is what it says in John 6. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they begin to say, surely this is the prophet who's to come into the world. Surely this is the fulfillment of Deuteronomy 18. And they are absolutely right. It is a fulfillment of Deuteronomy 18. One other one. When Jesus' ministry is done... When he has died and he's raised up, when he's on the road to Emmaus talking with his two disciples and they don't know, you know who he is yet, they sum his ministry up with the word prophet. Jesus says, tell me about this Jesus of Nazareth. And here's what they say. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. So after all had been said and done in his earthly ministry, they conclude he's a prophet. Of course, they don't know he's actually raised from the dead. He's more than that. But their conclusion is, yeah, he's a prophet. He was a great prophet. And so it's interesting to think about his, his ministry, his public ministry through the lens of a prophet. Okay. We think of it through different lenses, but let's think about it for a second. Thinking of Jesus as the ultimate prophet. So let's put him in in this, this role. Well, he is absolutely, he is the prophet par excellence, right? He speaks God's words to his people and, and his message is the same as the prophets. Turn to the Lord. Calling God's people to turn back to their God. And He has that same twofold ministry of confronting the people with hard truth and then comforting people. Let me give you a, just one sample of each of these, just so you can see this in the context of Prophet, okay? So Jesus does a lot of confronting. I don't know if you know that, um, but he does. And I, I sometimes today I'll hear people say, I love, I the Bible's hard for me, but I love Jesus. Man, Jesus is cool. Jesus forgives. Everyone loves Jesus. He's chill. And I'm kind of like, man, have you read the Gospels lately? Like, take, just read two chapters, any two chapters in any Gospel. I promise you'll experience a level of confronting that you were not expecting he tends to confront the people who are comfortable in their sin, right? Who don't think they have anything wrong. Let me give you one example. This is him railing against the Pharisees at the end of Matthew's gospels. Uh, Woe, he starts. Woe is a good prophetic word, by the way. The prophets like that word. Uh, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, which is required by law but you've neglected the more important matters of the law justice mercy and faithfulness that's isaiah all over again right you're fasting but you're exploiting your workers you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former you blind guides you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel what a great image i wish i invented that one you you strain out a gnat you focus on these minute details but you're missing the big stuff woe to you teachers of the law and pharisees you hypocrites This is a nice image. You're like whitewashed tombs. Want to be called that? Uh, You look beautiful on the outside like a tombstone does. But inside... You're full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. These are not nice words, okay? And we just need to remember that Jesus did a level of, a lot of confronting in his time. He also engaged in that street theater, that, that performance art, those that, symbolic actions sometimes when he was pronouncing uh, warnings on people. I'm thinking of the cleansing of the temple, right? Where he comes in and he he makes a whip of cords. He sits there watching this happen. He spends some time making a whip. And then he starts, you know, cracking that whip and overturning tables. That is prophetic action. Uh, In one of the Gospels, it actually tells us before he goes into the temple, he passes by a fig tree. Okay, I want you to remember this story. He passes by a fig tree and he's hungry. And he looks and there's no fruit on the fig tree. And he curses the fig tree. And they come back the next day and the, the fig tree's withered. And you're like, Jesus, I mean, come on, that's like a petulant kid. Like, you're not supposed to use your powers that way, right? Why'd you just, it just feels arbitrary. But no, 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 that is prophetic symbolic action. It's a, it's a, it's a living parable. He's saying the leadership of Israel at this time is supposed to be bearing fruit, and it's not. They're fruitless. And so they're going to be removed from their place of leadership, which is exactly what happened 70 years later. So that is, that is prophetic symbolic action. So Jesus confronts. People. He confronts us with the truth of our brokenness, of our sin, of our selfishness. But then, of course, he also has this other beautiful ministry of comforting people. That anybody who is willing to recognize their brokenness, their selfishness, their sin, anybody who's willing to turn to God, he has nothing but grace and mercy and forgiveness on his lips. Let me give you just one example from the Sermon on the Mount. I thought I'd use the opposite of woe, which is blessing, and look, at he, he pronounces blessing on, on people that the world doesn't consider blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Which is to say, blessed are people who recognize they don't have what it takes spiritually. Well, that doesn't feel like a good place to be. But he's saying, no, no, that's a blessed place. That's where God wants you. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they're going to inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled, right? Pronouncing God's truth and blessing on those who recognize their need for God and welcoming them. And he, obviously people experience his welcoming arms and his offer of, of community and fellowship with him. So there you have Jesus. I know we've just you know, scratched in the service, but I want you to think of him as the ultimate prophet, the prophet who Moses said would come. And in Jesus, more than anyone else, we see God's passionate heart for his people, his concern for their hearts when they wander astray, but then his willingness to do just about anything if his people will turn and run back to him, even send his own son who would die for us. He is prophet. We see God's truth, his words, and his passionate heart for his people coming most of all through Jesus. All right, you take all that in? Yeah, or most of it. At least, I mean, 25% I'll take. That'd be great. It'd be great. It's better than the average. Um, let's, let's try to make this personal. Let me just bring this home and, and ask the question, um, what does it mean for Jesus to be our prophet? Okay, we've seen all these other aspects of his ministry, but what does it mean for him to be our prophet? Meaning, like, how do we relate to Jesus? What does it mean to relate to him as prophet and I want to suggest two things I'll close with these okay the first is this in order to relate to Jesus' prophet we have to recognize our need for a prophet okay this is really important we have to recognize we all are in deep need of a prophet and that need goes all the way back to the beginning of the story all the way back to this picture that I showed you to Adam and Eve okay and I want you to think about the story again and our need that this story creates So God puts him in a garden. He puts, right, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. And God says, don't eat that. To eat from that tree is to say, I'm going to decide for myself what is good and what is evil. I'm going to decide for myself what is healthy for me, what's not. I'm going to decide for myself how to live, what's going to lead to a flourishing life, and what's not. I'm going to assert the right to make those choices for myself. God says, don't eat from that tree. God is saying, no, no, I want you to trust me. For that kind of knowledge. For what's good for you. And what's But trust that I know what's good for you. And what's bad for you. You leave that to me. And obey me. Walk in my ways. And of course our ancestors. And we all make this decision all the time. They said nope. No we want to make that decision. We want to decide for ourselves. And so they eat from that tree. And in that moment. Their sin enters their lives. And their hearts are darkened. And their minds are darkened. They, they cut themselves off from the source of truth and we do this all the time and they pursue that independently and so they by definition cut themselves off from the light and their hearts and minds are darkened this is how the apostle paul puts it in romans 1 he says this although they knew god they neither glorified him nor gave him th- gave thanks to him but here's but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. He's saying they, they had a thinking problem, right? They cut themselves off from the source of truth. So now they're not thinking right about the world. But it's not just an intellectual problem. It's because their foolish hearts are darkened. It's because they, they don't just have, it's not like they're just dumber all of a sudden. But their hearts are darkened. Now there's certain things that they want to believe. Because they want to live their lives the way they want to live their lives. So it's a heart problem and it's a mind problem. They're not going to find truth that way. And here's the saddest part. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. In asserting their own independence, they think, oh, we're so wise now. We're like God. And in their very thinking of wisdom, they've actually become fools because they've cut themselves off from the source of wisdom. So they're living in the dark, and they're unaware of the fact that they're living in the dark. Okay, that is what Scripture would say is our spiritual condition when we enter this world as human beings. And we're never going to be able to think our way out of that. We're not going to just like moralize our hearts back into perfection. What we need is we need prophetic revelation. We need a voice of God from the outside saying, no, this is what reality is. This is what the truth is. This is what is good for you. This is what is harmful for you. This is what will lead to your flourishing. To encourage us, to confront us, to comfort us, to reveal our problem, and to reveal the opportunity that is before us. Okay? So all that to say, to relate to Jesus as prophet, is every single one of us needs to recognize, I am in need of prophetic revelation from the outside. And then secondly, of course, it's not just to recognize that need, but it is to go to Jesus as our source of authority and truth, and guidance, and wisdom in our lives, spiritually, and in all ways, practical ways. And so this is my challenge to you this morning, that If Jesus really does speak the words of God, and I believe that he does, and if we want to be followers of Jesus Christ, then however we're trying to create our own reality, trying to shape our own truth, we need to stop doing that. We need to turn to Jesus. We need to, like disciples, sit at his feet and say, Jesus, I'm going to let your words define reality for me. I'm going to let your teachings define help construct the worldview that I see everything in my life through. It has to fit within your teachings. Your teachings are what shapes me. Your words will be the daily bread that I take in to be encouraged, to be shaped, to understand what I'm supposed to do with my life. And so we let his words do their work in us. We let his words confront us. And I promise you, they will confront you if you sit in front of them for very long. We let them comfort us and encourage us. We let his words do whatever they want to do in our hearts and minds. And we stick with it. We stay with it. I'm going to put up a verse here, uh, my final verse. And I I, want to just say, it's amazing to me that um, even as Jesus followers, how many other sources we pursue for truth. And I'm not saying there aren't good other sources, but as direct sources, how much, like when it comes to actually how to live our lives, we so quickly go so many other places besides the word of God. Um, We go, you know, wherever it might be on issues like like how do I deal with my money? You know, how do I parent? Um, how do I engage in relationships? How do I think about uh, the cultural issues of the day? We go so many different places. We go to blogs, we go to books, we go to speakers, we go to friends, and those can be good things. But we can do that and not go to the source of truth and guidance on these issues, which is God's word and Jesus' words. So here's the, here's the verse, Second Timothy. Uh, Paul says this, the time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound teaching, uh, sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow Their own desires, and this is this is the phrase, and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. I thought that's a that's a pretty good picture of our culture, people going to the sources, whatever their itching ears want to hear. And I want to encourage us to go to Jesus. In his words. And I promise you that if you go to Jesus in his words, um, two things are going to happen. First, he will say some things that your itching ears do not want to hear. I promise you he will. Just give him five chapters or maybe even two. You'll find something that your itching ears don't want to hear. But I promise you, if you will stick with his words, if you will let them do their work in you, over time, you will, you will come to the conclusion, your words are life. Your words are hope. Your words are truth, like truth with a capital T, truth. And so that's my encouragement is to go to Jesus and to go, what a treasure we have. These red letters in our Bibles, I didn't turn to a red letter page. Red letters in our Bibles, right, are the very words of God. And the black ones are too, (laughs) which is amazing. (laughs) But what a treasure that we have this accessible every day, any day to go to. And I want to encourage us to go there regularly, often. Let it be our primary source of truth and encouragement. So practically speaking, my challenge is be in the Word. Be in the Word regularly. And I'm going to make it easy for you. You're going to get an email from me in like 15 minutes, okay? And that email is going to have a Bible reading plan. That's going to get you through the rest of this year. It's super simple. It's one chapter a day, only three days a week, okay? If you do it, you'll get through the gospel of Matthew. You'll get through the gospel of John and the book of Romans by the end of the year. That's all it'll get you through. But it's a great start if you don't have anything right now, okay? So I'm sending you an email. And it, I'll, there's two links that can uh, integrate with your Google Calendar or your iCalendar. Um, and if that you don't get the email or if you don't want to integrate, just email me and I'll send you the actual reading plan. But if you don't have anything, I think that's an easy start. And how great would it be to be able to say, Lord, you know, Lord, um, I didn't always like your words. (laughs) Sometimes they confused me. Sometimes they challenged me. Sometimes they convicted me. Sometimes they comforted me. But I stuck with it. I stayed with you. I kept going back to you as my source of truth. That's what we want to say. And that's what it means to relate to Jesus as prophet. So let's pray. And what I want to do is I want to lead us through a, a little just time of uh, conversation with the Lord. So if you would, uh, bow your heads with me. And let's go to God. And I want to encourage you to just take a minute. Uh, a time of self-examination. Where you look at your life in the presence of God. And this is just about being honest with Him right now. And with yourself, okay? There's no, like, no judgment on this. Just speak the truth of what how your life actually is. Um, And ask this question of yourself. What currently, what are the voices that you go to for guidance and truth? What are the sources that you're actually going to in terms of how to live your life? It could be particular authors or bloggers or speakers or particular friends. And these might be great things. I'm not saying those are bad things at all. But just be honest with the Lord. Like, where do you currently go? When, when you're trying to figure out how to live your life. Just take a moment and identify those things. And within that, um, just ask this question. Where is Jesus' voice? In all of that. And by that I mean his actual words in scripture. Like, where does that fit currently? Is that, is that front and center for you? Is that uh, one voice among many? Is that absent from your life? And again, there's no, just be honest, share it. Like, where, where would you say his voice is for you right now? And if your answer is, gosh, he's, he's pretty far out on the periphery, um, honestly ask this question. What keeps you from more regular engagement with the words of Jesus? Like, what is it actually that that keeps you from that? And it might be very practical. It might just be I, you, don't, you don't have a schedule in place. You don't have a plan, and so it just doesn't happen. Uh, or it might be when you open the Bible, it's just hard. You don't understand it. You're like, it just feels overwhelming and it's not enjoyable. And so you don't go there or um, it doesn't feel relevant. Uh, or maybe there's some deep stuff and you know that if you open it, you're not going to like some of the things that you, you read. And so you, it's just easier to avoid. And it could be a combination. But, but answer that question honestly. Like what keeps you from more regular engagement with the words of Jesus? And one last question, if you have a desire for more regular engagement, what do you need from Jesus? Like, what do you need from him for that to happen? Do you need discipline? Do you need enjoyment? Do you need help understanding? Um, Do you need him to make those times more meaningful? What, What do you need? Ask, just ask him. Jesus, today we acknowledge that you are the word of God and that your words are the words of God. And so we pray that you would make your words more and more central to our hearts and our minds, that they would shape us, they would confront us, they would comfort us, they would draw us to our God in some beautiful ways. Help us in that journey, we pray in your name. Amen.